You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mudsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, today on the show, I had the good fortune of talking to well-renowned Australian artist and illustrator, Dougal Ramsey. And he was very kind to, well, tell me, you know, the inner workings of, of what happened with his family when they moved out from Scotland, which is an Australian story. It's uh, an Australian story of success um, from humble beginnings in Scotland and getting on a boat for six months and coming to Australia and forming a company which became essentially the first multinational company in Australia. It's, it's, it's very much uh, a story of success. And, and, and Dougal has his own story of success of becoming um, the artist that he is today and also collaborating um, with a, a, a great business with his daughter uh, these days. So if you don't know that, um, their company is, well, their brand is Dougal. Um, it's called Dougal. It's a clothing company and homewares. I think they've got homeware stuff. And if you want to get online and check it out, it's some cool shit. Anyway, um, so I really enjoyed talking to Dougal and I hope you enjoy our chat. Um, what else? Not a lot. Not a lot. It's Easter. Uh, there's people everywhere. It's mayhem. If you're on the roads, be safe. Drive safely. Um, there's fucking roadworks everywhere. It's driving me spare. Uh, and I know that's a first world problem, but I like shit quaint. Can we just leave some shit a little bit rickety? Just a little bit like, I don't know. Do we have to fix everything and make it shiny? It's kind of, I got a little resentment there, hey? Um, anyway, look, if that's, that's, that's really the extent of it right now, things are pretty good. I'm, I'm really pissing and moaning about the roadworks. They're slowing me up. Perhaps I should leave home 15 minutes earlier every time I go on a journey so I can allow for the roadworks that I seem to hit every time I drive somewhere and then I wouldn't be so stressed out because I just leave home with just the right amount of time I'll get to where i got to go. And then when you hit the roadworks, it fucks that up and makes you late. And I hate to be late. <sighs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Calmer than you are. Anyway, um... I hope you enjoyed my chat with Dougal and I'll see you on the other side. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total farfarama. Hi, this is David Bowie. Pretty things have gone to hell. Hello, heaven here. It all came from this um, pretty dreary looking village in uh, Scotland called Shots. And if you visited Shots, you'd be very disappointed. (laughs) It's all breeze blocks and, and... Probably the gloomiest place in the middle of winter. So it's not the castles on the... None of that. No. Were, the Ramses were... They were lowlanders. <laughs> but they... Uh, and that's probably the reason why they they left. They decamped shots in 1877. Uh, and uh, they uh, all piled onto this boat called the Loch Sonart. 
which is an, has an interesting history in itself because the Loch Ard was the sister ship that founded uh, off um, the shipwreck coast of Victoria. Founded, when you say founded, you mean sunk or founded? Uh, it, well, it sunk. Yeah. All hands lost barring, I think, two. This is, this is another story in itself, but that's a that's uh, something we'll leave for another day. Yeah, but good the, story though. But the Loch Sonart, which they came out on, so there was a um, grandfather, great grandfather John, and um, I think there was six at that stage. The, the the family was actually nine by the by the end of the you know, by the time that settled in Australia, and the more children arrived. So they left Sot. Got on the lockout. Left, left Scotland. Yeah. And then uh, it was a non-stop uh, voyage through to Melbourne. How, how pretty, long was that in those days? It was days? pretty tough. I think it was round about six months. Oh, my God. And it was, <laughs> what did they eat? Well, no, they were allowed... They, well, the, there was food, obviously, that was, uh, you know, you've paid your passage... So you're given food, but you're you're allowed to bring your own food on board. So you could bring eggs and stuff like that. But, but hold on, in those days you don't have a refrigerator. Yeah. Eggs are going to last you all of a week. Well, no, they'll last a bit longer. <laughs> you might take a chook. But yeah, well, no, well, you couldn't just go to the, the shots, take away and get a bag of cooked chooks. No, I mean take a live chook to give your eggs all away. Like, uh, no. Well, no, no, well, they had salted beef. They had a lot of food that um, was provided on board. But, you know, it wasn't uh, something you'd be racing. Uh, it, that was the fare of, of, of those days. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of it was salted. And you just had to uh, suck it up, and that was it. But they did also try and catch fish on board. And in the uh, family, there was a diary that my great grandfather wrote every day. And uh, they used to shoot um, uh, whatever seabirds they they saw. Um, and of course, you know we think of, of the albatross. That was a bit of a that was a bit of a no no. But they, at the time, they didn't. They you know, they'd shoot anything. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so your grandfather, he was alive on the boat with your great grandfather when they came to Melbourne. Correct. Okay, and so they knew each other from. Yeah. So we're 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 moving forward. So 1877. They've got here in 1878. Yeah. They've grown up. The young boy, well, not so much young boys, but sort of in their teens, and uh, a little bit later, and then um, they're all um, um, you know, looking for careers in Melbourne. Um, but William, the grandfather, uh, he um, uh, obviously knew Annie back in in shots. Yes, yeah. Even though the Meeks uh, immigrated to. Omaru in this in New Zealand. So it's quite a love story. It, well, we we uh, William didn't keep any diaries. We've got postcards. Um, of the, we've got a book that we've we took. Perhaps I don't know. It was about uh, four years to put together um, on the history of Kiwi. Uh, which is still 
still available today. It's probably in the in the uh, the sale bin at most bookshops. So did he go to um, South Island to find her, or did he? I think they 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 wrote, and I think she did come over to to Melbourne uh, at some stage, or visited whatever. Uh, so. Um, I probably should know the exact date that they married, but I, that escapes me. And so then Kiwi was born, the name was born out of... Kiwi, as I said, um, we're, it was 1906 when it was started. Yeah. And he, um, William, as I said, was a bit of an entrepreneur uh, that he thought uh, would be, a short name would be, a, I mean, to put it... Um, a very complicated name on a, a on a tin is <laughs> <laughs> visually uh, yeah. it uh, wouldn't it wouldn't work. So I, Kiwi and it um, uh, it stuck pretty quickly, but over the years, of course, um, the New Zealanders have laid claim to it, but it's very much an Australian company. So he started making essentially though a small time at the start. Small time in the backyard, or uh, they... they had a small factory in Carlton. Yeah, and then uh, got bigger, and but they were um, other brothers in uh, two of um, William's brothers also came into the business, mm-hmm. and also the, the his father John helped as well. So uh, he he was sort of the sage guiding um, mentor. Of for a while, um, but William uh, also uh, he wanted to take the the business out of Australia to a, a larger market, and um, that's where it became interesting because he set up a, a factory in in England. And, and so, where, where where are we in the years here? Like we're about two thousand. Uh, sorry, we're nineteen. We're about nineteen twelve. Okay, so a lot happened very quickly in yeah, it six grew years. Very quickly. Yeah, and um, William um, was having health problems, um, and we think, uh, well, he had he he developed sort of cancer in the stomach, um, which uh, could have been anything in those days, but William. Uh, died in 1914, which um, meant that that's when other other the other brothers came in and and uh, helped with the management. Um, but look, they were they were pretty savvy. What they did and when the First World War came along, they got a British Army contract. And what year was that? Uh, 1914, start of the second First World War. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that was the catalyst for the the company to really really hit their straps. So in twelve they opened a factory in England and then they got on the back of the war. Yep. Two years and, later. I mean, you just think of all those uh, army boots. Yeah. And they worked out not only was a black shoe polish, but they worked out tan. And tan was sort of the the colour that there was a lot of <laughs> well all the officers' uh, boots and. Because they all, you know, you've got boots and then you've got 
big boots and well even me as a kid we had the boot polish thing out the back and we had to polish our shoes before school it was a used to be a thing i don't know if it still is but uh well you know over the years uh it it was very much a I know in our family we weren't allowed to have dirty shoes. Yeah, yeah. And of course, in the you know you flash forward to the sixties, you know, then became there was desert boots and um, that that was the death knell of shoe polish a bit. <laughs> um, but you know that's another story. But to come back to that period when uh, when they were building the business, um, that um, that was sort of an interesting. Uh, you know, once that they've got a leg in the door, so to speak, uh, after the first first World War, uh, my that's when my father, uh, in the mid twenties, came into the business too. So, so uh, your dad also worked all, all his life. Really? Yeah. So he and but he he's his sort of area. He he uh, had a science degree from Melbourne University. Yeah. So, um, but he inherited the entrepreneurial um, genes that, uh, you know, his father William had as well. Um, but between the wars... So did he use his science degree within the company or did... Oh, well, he certainly knew the content, how to make a tin of boot y- polish. Yeah. But um, after the First World War, um, the, the company expanded very quickly and there was uh, factories that were um, built in in Europe. Uh, one was in in France, another one in Poland. Uh, there was wow, a, they really really diversified. I would imagine at a time when people didn't really know what like to turn something into a chain today is the business model. <clears throat> well, you have to understand that Kiwi was the first Australian multinational. Was it really? The first, uh, and they were, they were way ahead of their time. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, and uh, it, it's sad that, you know, we read about all these, uh, you know, great success stories now, but, but Kiwi really hasn't had the recognition that I think it deserves. Well, we're trying to give it to it today. Well, I hope No, I'm so. <laughs> joking. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the smart thing that, that they worked out was in the marketing side. They were very yeah. So, uh, you know, with with advertising material, they were right on to the, the visual, you know, the, the, the use of the visual poster, you know, particularly on, you know, public transport hustings, um, the, the, the list of things uh, that, um, uh, you know, they accomplished during the, that period um, so the picture here with the dancing girls and their legs spell Kiwi. Yep, on that, the front of the book. On the front of the book. That would have been very appealing to the, the soldiers? Uh, or was that just the general I, public? I think that was probably during the wars, before the Second World War. Yeah, it's cool. Um, but they, some of the material was just um, well, way ahead of its time. And I think that's... Um, so that the company grew very quickly. I mean, you've got to think, you know, we've got no TV. Um, but they worked out also about advertising uh, to the masses. And uh, during this period, so we, you know, if we say, they, they developed the first um, 
TV, well, I'd say, you know, commercial uh, film to go in the silent uh, picture houses. Uh, that was a first in the world. And that's never been given proper recognition either. And you can actually still see it. Um, but, you, know, you can log into a, a link and it, it's still there on a website. What's that TV show where it's all about advertising and it's set back in the 50s and the guy's really... Is this, do you know the one I'm talking about? It's, mm, uh, give I'm, me a clue. Yeah, it's not very good. Uh, I'll come back to it. But it sounds... I'm getting... A, it's, that actor, he's really... Uh, he's got the slick hair. He's always smoking a cigar. They've always got a scotch in hand. And it's, um, well, I could think of as Jackie Gleason, but I don't think it's him. No. Um, ah, shit. No, it's gone. But it sounds... It's all about advertising back in the day. Uh, marketing. Marketing. Correct. And and they they were, way, as I said, way ahead of their game. Can you split the difference on me on what marketing and advertising? Well, marketing, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's developing a, uh, a, a, way, a strategy for selling a product. Got it. Yeah. So if it's, if it's yes. visual material, yep. it could also be... Well, I mean, you're a bit more limited, obviously, back in uh, uh, prior to TV and uh, radio, but they, they also worked out about radio. Um, but that was probably more in the 50s, um, where particularly Kiwi in, um, in Melbourne, they, if you got on a tram... Uh, there would be on the back of your tram ticket would be an ad for Kiwi, and they were the first to do one of the first to do that. They they had a Kiwi club, which people uh, all sorts, of, and that was through radio. And what do you mean club? Well, you would uh, join up for that, and uh, you you've got to think of that period in the early fifties where uh, you had a lot of. Uh, I guess um, women factory workers. Um, they uh, they used to attend sing-alongs. You know, it's all about um, you know the, that period when life was simple and <laughs> there were no complications. <laughs> there was no <laughs> there's no bullying on media or anything like that. Right. It, was all, it was all very simple. That sounds great. Um, but but Kiwi worked out that. Uh, they had to diversify too. So this is all very creative, and I know that you're very creative. Is this in, was it an in-house thought-out process, the the um, marketing, and how to do all this stuff, or was that outsourced? They used other, uh, a, you know, advertising agencies. So that was actually a thing then. Yeah. Yeah, it was still. Okay, there was yeah. advertising agencies um, around. Um, but you know it was sort of pretty uh, rudimentary uh, how what they used, but it was mostly visual material that was was done. Um, but the competition was getting starting to stump up a bit too. So you had other other boot polishers out there. You had um, there was a company called Record and Coleman, and that was an English company, and they had uh, Nugget. Um, there was another brand called Cherry Blossom. Um, These are the co- competition. Yeah, and then um, they they got into America um, as well. They had a factory in Pottstown, um, 
And they, this is prior to the Second World War, they, um, they got... Uh, they were zooming around the joint. They were busy, busy <laughs> little beavers. And they, they, uh, they got... Uh, you know, they, would, what, they had a clever plan, a bit more marketing, that they used to give the American servicemen a pack each serviceman got this pack of for cleaning their their boots and shoes. Um, so with a buffer towel, a brush, yeah, some nugget, and, yep, yeah, not the word nugget. Sorry, some <laughs> polish, polish. <laughs> polish. And so that that exposed the Americans to to the that product as well. Yeah, and that was very smart. You know, again that that wonderful word, bit of a very uh, smart marketing. So you, then you've got the Australian Army using it, the British Army using it, you've got the American Army using it. So you, suddenly, you know, this is a lot of boots. This, this is the Second World War. Yeah, there's a lot of boots out there. Um, so and, by this stage, you're having pretty good Christmas parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that was um, again it was a tough time after the Second World War. You know, getting getting. Um, it was still tough trying to move money around. Um, I can remember um, Dad saying that to fly to London for a business trip would take five days, and you, they used to use converted World War Two bombers, um, and you know it was a pretty rough old ride. And you you would sort of hop between you'd go Melbourne, Darwin, uh, Singapore, um, Bombay. Um, uh, Tehran, uh, full Indiana Jones stuff. It, it was totally Indiana <laughs> Jones stuff. And you know, you're riding in this converted bomber, um, and then you get there. I mean, you're not refreshed. You're feeling absolutely probably washed out by the time you get to your destination. Um, that about jet lag. There's no such thing. I think it was more um, lag. Lag. <laughs> And then you had to do business, and if you're if you're trying to transfer money from one country to the other, that was tough. And, you know, it wasn't you know no bank cards in those days. No, no, no wire. You had to wire money. Had to be was Western Union was the only way you could do it. Oh, you could wire. You could wire, but it, it, you might have to wait a few days for it to come through. And whether it's seven banking days, which is now for some things, you do B pay. <laughs> Um, but they worked out, they then moved the diversified as well um, into other products. Like uh, well, still under the Kiwi name or? Well, they, of course, you, you think, think of um, the Davis Cup, you think of uh, tennis uh, after the Second World War in the 50s, you know, there's an awful lot of white sand shoes. Um, so they worked out uh, there was uh, a product called obviously White Cleaner uh, and then there was um, other things came along with that like you know you got into your detergents and industrial detergents as well uh, I mean I always remember um, going to Canberra in the old the old Packard uh, which we used to have for years, and uh, oh, sorry, I'm going to just say, what's the old Packard? American car. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. And you know, it's pretty smooth-looking thing. And um, 
we went to Canberra because Dad wanted to buy into the Batlow packing company, which was Apple's. So he was his brain was sort of all over the shop. Uh, he went into they went into wine. Uh, they went they bought um, Seabrook's wines. They so they were always thinking of other ways of yeah yeah um, and after the, um, the Second World War they also had a uh, they worked out cheap labour and cheap labour is what how it still works today with, with um, product where you can get it made the cheapest that's where you go so they left so they started a factory in Indonesia yeah they had another a small factory what, what year was this. Uh, we're sort of um, late fifties. Wow, in Indonesia in the late fifties. Yeah. That's um, once again on Fiji, the forefront. Uh, in South Africa, in um, where else? Um, but uh, there's a map in the book of yeah. all the, where all the factories were. So when when they opened these ones, did the ones in England and the um, no, Pottsmouth and Pottstown? Pottstown. They were still going. They were still going. They, okay. were, they were growing in size. And, yeah. yeah. So, the, 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 as I said, it was a, a true multinational. Um, or we, I think we also had, a, obviously, a, f- a small factory in New Zealand. Did you have political sway? <laughs> well, uh, Dad, um, he, he had a few friends in high places. Yeah. He was very good friends with old blackjack John McEwen, who was a... Um, the old uh, he was Blackjack John McEwan. I don't know who that you is. Heard of him? No, he was a. It's uh, a great name though. Yeah. Uh, he was good friends with. Uh, uh, he knew them all. Who was Blackjack John McEwan? He he was a leader of the Country Party back. At, we're back in the in the fifties, sixties. And was he a renegade? No, no, that was that was his nickname. Because um, he played blackjack. Well, he being the country, he was country party. Yeah. Um, so that he, I, he, I don't think he ever he wasn't ever prime minister. What is country party like? What liberal was or? Well, country party was you know, very much as it sounded then. You know, it's, it's for country folk farmers. Well, you know, it represented the the, the uh, rural community. Yeah. Around Australia. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, it's um, it's a interesting, you know how it, how it all evolved is is uh, is a great great read, and I feel like I could you know doing my entrepreneurial thing here, saying well you can read it all in the book here. You can find it online at. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, 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 there's other bits as well that we could probably go on about, but uh, no, 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 it's 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 good. Um, I am interested, though, in the like being the first multinational of Australia. It, it, they must be the business model, or you know, that people have benchmarked themselves against. Well, that that's very true because um, if you were studying uh, at, at uni now, or you were doing your commerce degree, you would have to understand or learn about. I would have thought. Uh, how marketing evolved, and you know, it's early how how it all sort of uh, came to be what it is today. Um, I mean, you know, we've now got you know multimedia. We've got so many uh, areas that you can now sell a product. Uh, 
you didn't have so many <laughs> to play around with in in the early days. But if you could work out the ones that did work, um, that's what you you aim for, and that's that's really the history of Kiwi. That they were they were you know well ahead of their game. Yeah, it's it's an unbelievable story. It really is to get on to have been fortunate enough to actually take something good out of both those wars. I don't think too many people can. Well, exactly, and um, but they did have problems with uh, supply, getting their waxes uh, because you know, you know freighters were sunk by Japanese and Germans, you know, for getting to factories to make the the, the product. But you know, you needed, as I said, you needed. I'm pretty sure it was paraffin wax, and you needed um, pretty big supplies of it too. Um, so, and you had to have the colouring, and the colouring had to be, I don't know where that came from, but another exotic country. That so who was running off and getting all this stuff? Well, they had, uh, you know, as I said, uh, this is part of any business that uh, they had to source all that material and get it shipped to wherever factory was, whatever it was, if it was Melbourne or, or it was um, in, in London or whatever. So before email, before... The internet, that would have been some tricky... Very tricky. You couldn't just send a... <clears throat> you know, everything had to be mailed. Um, if the mail didn't get through, stiff, you know... Just sit back and have another G&T and wait for the mail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was pretty tough doing business. Yeah. And, of course, you know, in these days we're all in... Um, pretty casual gear i mean everyone was in a in a suit every day this gets me back the show was called madman <laughs> madman oh that's right yeah do you know the one yeah i know that's no. what i get the visuals of yeah. when I, when you so you that. you know you it, there were customs and ways that you had to behave yourself there was um, business etiquette and of course, you know there was the days of the long lunch. Then uh, smoking would have been big. Smoking was big. You'd go into a room and they couldn't see to the other end of the table because yeah. so many cigars being <laughs> chuffed around. Um, but I always remember going to my uh, going to the where the the Kiwi factory was in um, Burnley Street in Richmond. It's no longer there. Um, it's Near where the um, the the CUB is. Um, CUB CUB is in Carlton, isn't it? Isn't there one down the end of Burnley Street? Is it? There's a brewery oh, down no, there. Oh no, that's the other end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is between um, Bridge Road and Swan Street along that section. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, go, and the the thing that hits you the, the moment you went in the door was the smell of wax. And, you know, it's all lino floors and there was the typing pool and they all had those giant typewriters, which I used to love playing on. And then Dad's office... Typewriters were for... Well, I mean, you know, they had the... the oh, the, the normal... Or, pop, pop, pop. Well, you know, because you didn't have... You know, you had adding machines. You had a, a plethora of these machines that did all the... <laughs> all your uh, uh, sort of type of gra- you know, whatever had to be done was yeah. on these um, adding machines, whatever. But uh, in Dad's office, he had a um, <clears throat> he had three lights um, at, at the front of his door going into his office, and uh, one was um, so he you would wait to uh, if you're going there to have a business meeting. He would uh, have either on the thing wait, 
enter. <laughs> I don't know what the third one was. Go, go away. It's like but amber. I'm amber. not sure. <laughs> but that was that was the way business was done. And you know, he would sit there with his little keypad, saying whether he would let you in or not. Uh, enter at own risk. <laughs> That's right. It could be because at times he had a shocking temper. Uh, but uh, usually he was very nice. <laughs> um, but uh, you know he was—he used to do a lot of travelling. Um, so it was. Uh, so did you grow up in Melbourne or in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. And what what are some of the first things that you remember about? Uh, well, we lived in um, Struan Street, and uh, it was uh, in in Turak. Yeah. And uh, we, um, it was a, it was a great childhood. Although uh, we had to sometimes endure Dad's foul temper after dinner, after he'd had uh, probably about three martinis and you know half a bottle of claret and a port. Uh, it is. It's just like Madman. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would sort of, someone of one of the family would make some comment, and off he would go. He'd go off his tree, and we'd all have to duck for cover. <laughs> But look, he was... Your normal family stuff, really. Yeah, but he was very warm and, and a kind person. But he, he was at times a bit of a tyrant. Um, but we had uh, we had a swimming pool at the bottom of the garden. It was quite a big, big uh, block. And, of course, that's the most popular item you need to uh, establish a coterie of school friends is have a swimming pool yeah yeah because they'd all come around after because there weren't many swimming pools around in those days um so yeah we had a lot of the laughs along uh, our journey in strewn street yeah it would have been pretty um tree and, yeah. and and safe the 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 sound of cicadas in in summer was deafening because there's so many trees yeah full of cicadas um, but we sold the house in the mid-60s and moved to South Yarra. Um, but, uh, you know, it was an was a, a interesting childhood. How come um, you jumped suburbs? Um, I'm not too sure what the thinking was. Um, it was a smaller house. Uh, but the Struan Street house is still there. Um it still looks quite big. I drove past it the other day, but you know, it's a few sort of disappointing apartment blocks sort of uh, towering over it now. Was it a bit? Did you get a bit nostalgic when you drive past, or drive past where the factory was? In well, the factory's no longer. It's gone. It was pulled down. Yeah, because um, they moved the, the the manufacturing out to Clayton, um, but. Um, you know, that's another chapter in itself, what happened there. But as, as far as my childhood, was, was, um, a lot of it was there. It was either spent at um, Struan Street or we had a, a house in uh, Mount Macedon. Um, and so a lot of the weekends were spent up in, at Macedon. Do you find it spooky up there? <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably was a bit... Uh, everything changed when the fires went through Macedon, uh, which is pretty sad. Uh, a lot of beautiful houses got, got burnt down. But what, when was that? 
Um, that's I think that was um, 80, 82, something like that. Did people die? 83. It was, was, yeah, many died. Oh, that's very sad. Um, but the house um, is now owned by Lindsay Fox. Uh, the Macedon House? Yep. And so he's he's sort of, uh, I think it's Lindsay's uh, cutting garden for his his uh, for the for the vases in Turak. What does uh, that mean? Well, they've got, um, you know, grow a lot of flowers. Oh, okay. Which go you know down to Melbourne for the, but I think they do staff development there as well. So it's a bit of a tax sort of uh, staff development. That's that word. We, we, that wasn't around. Staff development sounds like robots. Well, staff, <laughs> Just staff put them on the conveyor belt through the thing. Staff <laughs> development is when you know. Well, I think of when you you know you set tasks and you have to build bridges and and you team know, bonding, team bonding, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, whether Lindsay needs to uh, sort of <laughs> have those line. sorts of people working for him, I yeah. don't know. Um, but I went. I passed. I went past it the other day, and uh, it's now got a big post and rail fence all the way along, and it looks like something out of, uh, you know, um, one of the other outer suburbs of Melbourne. Um, the one in Turak. No, this is Macedon. I was in Macedon. Yeah, so it's very much still there. Well, you know, I've heard garden. that people are just drive. Not people. There's um, tourist bus going up into Ma- Macedon these days. Yeah. And people just get out and use the gardens as facilities. They just walk in. Yeah, I know. They walk in as if it's they. It's public. There's no fence or gate. <laughs> and then use it as a bathroom. Yeah. Well, uh, we have fr- a friend, and they have a sign on their front gate in Chinese saying "Do not enter," because uh, they just love, uh, you know, this time of the year be autumn colours. Um, you know, Macedon's. Uh, you know, still got that hold. You know, it's the the the, um, the trees up there is uh, very much. You know, if you took away the trees and mass, it probably wouldn't be much. But the trees make make uh, make that uh, whole area. There's an eeriness. Uh, <laughs> Am I just putting that in my head because I want? No, well, um, I remember one story uh, in the garden at our, our place, which was called Haskum. We had a log cabin, and and we had two tennis courts. One we used for croquet, and you never played croquet with my father because he always liked to win, <laughs> and we all lost badly. But the log cabin we used to we had a ping pong table, and we used to play you know over there a lot and slide all over the the floor. And uh, one there was a, the, the story about someone who had um wandered off uh down down the in the village of Macedon and everyone's sitting in the log cabin having drinks and a good time and this this person who's wandered off came up to the put their hands against the window of the of the log cabin and gave everyone a bit of a fright uh, <laughs> so maybe it is a bit eerie up there uh but it 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 uh, it growing up there was was uh, was great. Pretty magical. Yeah. Well, I used to uh, we used to build cubby houses and tree houses, and uh, I had a, my brother Fergus. Uh, between the two of us, we'd uh, um, always planning. A, you know, we'd 
build these underground caves and all sorts of things. It was a lot of fun. Did you have guns? Had guns. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Shooting anything that moved. Yeah. I, I even got shot myself oh. by my brother but with an air gun. Yeah, okay. Was he that older? Was a bit of fun. Yeah. Well, you know, we used to... Um, yeah, he was older. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, we... Uh, um, used to go shooting possums, anything that moved. So you had it, and I believe that you were into motorbikes for a while. Um, well, brief stint. A brief stint was um, we we're moving forward to when I was studying in, in England, and I um, I wanted to go to Greece, and I wanted to because I was studying illustration. Uh, at the Royal College of Art. So this is early 70s. And um, so I bought this um, Suzuki 250, which um, I then drove all the way down to Greece um, and picked up Nelly, my wife-to-be, down there. And we drove around Crete together um, and then drove back to England again. And once I got back, I decided I'd never ride a bike, motorbike ever again. Did something happen? Oh, was, I think I used up pretty well every life that was owing to me at that stage. Eight of the nine. Mm. Well, I mean, going through Yugoslavia, I mean, they were probably the world's worst drivers and you used to uh, come over the crown of a hill and there'd be two trucks coming at you on both sides of the road. And, you know, there's upturned buses and body. It was just scary stuff. Um, and in Greece... So going back to Yugoslavia then, when you went, we rode through Yugoslavia, who was in charge? Uh, that was still Tito. Tito? Yeah. And tell me, because I've spoken to someone else about Tito. Now, was he the, like renowned as well, a he kept, great man? Well, he kept Yugoslavia together yeah. before it all fell apart. And I, I, I remember being stopped at a few roadblocks along the way of my travels because you had to go through Yugoslavia, you had to go down the Adriatic... Uh, a sort of coastline to get through to to Greece because you then caught the uh, ferry ac- um, across, uh, and uh, this policeman takes my passport, looks at it upside down, and then hands it back to me. So I'm thinking, well, he knows a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, I mean, that was a very you know naive time. I mean, I, there'd be no way I'd do that now. <laughs> Not my age <laughs> well no it's a different world and a different time but i ever this guy that i was talking to said tito was the, one he, of the greatest leaders he kept kept the country together and as i said when he died everything sort of fell they it all disintegrated yeah and, i mean he had terrible all the different balkan states and he said it was a beautiful uh, like it was uh yugoslavia was like the jewel of europe at the time like it was a really affluent yeah and, and i mean if you arts you know, you went to Dubrovnik. It, um, it was it was like uh, it was before it was a real tourist place. It was very quirky and interesting. I think Dubrovnik. You know, when they had the um, whichever war it was, you know, got shelled pretty badly. So there's a lot of pockmarks now in the in the bastion. But driving through Greece was a challenge in itself because. Um, they didn't probably they didn't have proper car ferries, and to get a, a 
bike onto a, whatever island you want to go to. It had to be um, put on by ropes and harnesses onto the you know this funny old ferry. Uh, I remember going. Um, we were travelling from uh, Crete to um, Thessaloniki, and uh, we were sort of travelling through the night on this boat. And all the lights went out. Uh, and there were several people panicked, thinking the boat was sinking and jumped <laughs> overboard. <laughs> and so that was interesting. That just turned around. I don't know if they actually <laughs> found the... Oh, my um, God. <laughs> the, uh, and uh, riding around Crete... Um, they, the German, the uh, sorry, the Greeks never forgave the Germans, and so back even in the seventies, um, if you went anywhere, the first thing they'd ask you if you were German, because if you were German, they never used to serve you, um, or you wanted petrol for the bike, which is you know there weren't too many gas stations, uh, you'd have to uh, uh, first of all say say you weren't German, otherwise they they wouldn't serve you. So th- things were pre- still a bit tense because there were some pretty terrible things that the Germans did there. Yeah. You know, they wiped out uh, entire uh, villages and uh, killed women and children. wasn't good. How did Nell go? Uh, she, um, uh, she didn't have much choice. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was probably better than catching a bus those days. So it's... And I used to go out drawing those uh, days, so I've still got um, a lot of those those works uh, sitting on the wall as of today. So you were studying uh, illust- illustration at in England. Yes, in London. In yeah. London. Yeah. How was that for an experience? Uh, that was um, that was a very very much a um, a, a challenge. Um, and the early 70s, uh, every Australian then was called Bruce by the Poms because, you know, we were seen, you know, as a bit of a laughing... And you, you've got to think of um, the adventures of Barry McKenzie, uh, you know, the private eye. The Australians used <coughs> to get an absolute shellacking. Bruce. So, everyone was Bruce. That's right. You know, Monty Python. You've got to think of uh, the English humour. And you know, it was the you know, um, really, they really got into us. Absolutely, you know, the, the Australians all lived in Earl's Court. That was their preferred place of um, domicile, and <laughs> um, you uh, just had to uh, cop it. But um, so I copped it from my fellow classmates a fair bit. You know, they thought I was a bit of a joke. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, look, you, you develop pretty thick skin and don't let it worry you too much. So when did you find realise that you had... Because um, I know you're a pretty handy football player. And when did you... I got to the under-14As. Oh, that's, that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> when did you realise that you had such... Uh, or you had a passion for the arts? Well, there is, there is of course, a, a streak that runs through the Ramsey family because uh, great-uncle Hugh um, Ramsey uh, uh, is a very famous 
Australian. Uh, well, he, he, his fame was more portrait painting, but he, he could do he could paint do anything really. But uh, Hugh, this was your, your uncle, uncle, great yeah, uncle, great, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there was, and my f- father was quite artistic too. He always used to help me with my social studies projects. You know, if I was doing something on the gold mines of central Victoria in 1854, I'd ask him to do a drawing of a, uh, you know, a few miners. So, uh, um, so there, it sort of runs through the family, and it's it's still there uh, with other other uh, family members too, not to this to this day. And is your brother an actor? Correct. Yes, Robin. Yeah. Robin's uh, so I have uh, two sort of half brothers of Hamish who lives in Adelaide, and he's uh, an engineer architect, but now retired and wine ma- and uh, owner of Coppermurrah, or part owner I think of a vineyard called at Coppermurrah, and Robin, um, the next brother down. Um, so they, we share the same father, but not the same mother. Mm-hmm. So um, the um, mother was th- then remarried. This was Betty Grounds, who has remarried uh, a very famous Australian architect, uh, Roy Grounds. Um, so then the, I have a sister, Anne, and, uh, who was artistic as well, interior designer. And I'd say she's retired from that too. And then Fergus, who was a bit of the nutty professor and the, you know, he's always inventing things and he had a, a different brain to mine. And uh, he now does um, bowling green turfs. Um, uh, he's got a warehouse in Ballarat. So uh, there must be. Um... But he lives up in the King, uh, well, uh, other side of Wangaratta, a place called Myree. Up in the up in the King River, that's a very specialised, specific type of grass. Yeah, for bowling greens. Yeah. So they ins- he installs them, and uh, I mean, I don't know how he got into it, but uh, he does it, and I think he does it very well. I think it must be an art unto itself. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how they go in the drought period, but yeah. yeah. But there's a, there's a still a demand for it. Oh, bowls has gone massive again. Yeah. So, the Torquay Bowls Club's thriving at yeah, the moment. Well, they, you know, he's like, you know, they ring him. He's like um, um, Dan Dare of Bowling Greens. Um, where if you want one done, he'll he'll they'll do it. Um, but moving, yeah. So there's um, with Robin, of course, he was um, well known actor. He was um, probably his greatest um, role was Charlie Cousins in um, Bellbird, which was on Channel 2 for I don't know how many years, for a long time. But everyone religiously watched that. And then he, uh, they had to, he, he uh, got this um, understudy um, uh, role in, in New York on Broadway uh, with uh, Fagan, um, you, know, uh, you know Oliver, and so they had to get him out of, write him out of um, Bellbird, 
and his his part was Charlie Cousins. The uh, he was the real estate agent in Bellbird. So uh, how they got him out of that is they fell off the top of a silo. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, speculation whether he if he was pushed or he fell. Or, oh, yeah, right. And so uh, he went off to um, uh, be the understudy to um, what was the name of the actor Lionel Bart. And he actually made it. Um, actor Lionel Bart called in sick, and so he he got uh, the gig of Fagin for a little while in in Oliver on Broadway. On Broadway, that's unbelievable. So, uh, and uh, you know he's done a f- been beavering away. He did Shannon's Mob, which. Everyone says probably one of the worst detective series ever produced. Uh, he um, he's done a lot, and he's given a lot back to. Um, he do, you know, he's been doing workshops and all sorts of things. He's still doing those to this day. He he did a uh, a tour. He's done several tours um, around India. Um, reciting Henry Lawson. The Indians seem to like Henry Lawson. Is poetry. that right? So, uh, Dog in a tucker box? <laughs> yeah, all Is that. that right? <laughs> so Robin uh, work, he's had a bit of a niche market in <laughs> India, <laughs> which he used to do. Well, the Aussie cricketers go over there and cash in. I mean, well, that's why not right. Go why over not there? do Henry Lawson? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, uh, so Robin's still uh, out there and... Um, well, everyone's very creative. Correct. Um, and, well, then moving through to the generation below um, myself now with um, daughter Arabella and son Tom with his photography. photography. Um, and Arabella's... Well, you know, I think Tom's an amazing drawer as well. Well, I've got a lot of his life drawings in the drawer, which I upstairs here, and <laughs> he he's has he's definitely got talent in that area. Yeah, um, I've got a lot of his old school books. He showed a lot of talent scribbling in his his you know his exercise books too. Well, I had this big one that he did in year twelve that had a mermaid and a merman sort of thing that right. I, I kept for years. I wish I still had it. Uh, I loved it though. I, I loved that picture. Um, but w- what you're doing now with Arabella is pretty awesome. Yeah, well, it, that sort of evolved from years ago. Um, I, I started a mail order business. Uh, whoa, whoa, a mail order business? Mail, not mail, mail, <laughs> mail order business. This is real mail, which you get in the, in the post. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and that. Uh, that sort of um, morphed into retail, and um, we. Uh, this is back in the um, early nineties, or sorry, mid nineties that um, I did that. Um, because when I finished at after I'd d- done my stint of driving motorbikes around <laughs> Europe and coming back to Earth and realizing you know you had to get a job, um, I worked came back to Melbourne and married Nellie and we uh, lived in Melbourne but I worked at, um, taught at Swinburne and at what used to be called Philip. Did you teach at Swinburne? Yep. Yeah, wow. And Illustration? 
Uh, yes, illustration. And then uh, we moved to Kyneton in uh, 1976. And I still re- I realised I still needed cash flow. So I taught at, um, used to be called the Ballarat College of Advanced Education, which before that was the School of Mines. And that, um, I, did, I worked there for about 10 years teaching. The same at um, Bendigo, uh, but they've now morphed into universities, of course. Um, and from there, we we sold out of living in Kyneton, so we were sort of ahead of our times because um, the uh, it was pretty slim pickings in the food department uh, in Kyneton back then. It was just a Chinese takeaway with Chines, with yeah. Uh, yeah, way too much MSG in it. Yeah. So you're, you're firing <laughs> just on all just awake, sweating all night. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so but Kyneton is where Tom and Arabella grew up, and they, that was a great. Uh, um, you know, they had lots of fun there. And then we we moved to Ge- bought a property out of Geelong. That was ninety three, uh, which was this, in early ninety fours when my father died. Um, so we bought this property called Darrowill down at um, in the Murrable Valley, and uh, it was it was a beautiful old old property. You know, had the Murrable River running through it, and from there. Um, that's when um, uh, again had to think of uh, income streams, and that's when it started the mail order business. And so I was using a lot of my illustration work. So we're doing things like um, writing pads. Well, you know the writing pads still today. My stepmom's always like, "Can you can you get me one of those writing pads? I love those writing pads. They're a big hit." I've got one upstairs. I give, I've got a few spare ones. I'm sure I can. All right, you hear that, Julie? Give her a flicker one. <laughs> <laughs> she wants me thirty. Uh, I've got placemats. We've got the uh, She loves the 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 pads. She's always hitting me up about the pads. Well, anyway, so that that sort of uh, that grew quite quickly. And that morphed into retail, uh, and so that then morphed into um, uh, a retail franchise, and we branded the name of uh, uh, Wolf into we called it Darrowulf Farm. So we ended up with um, um, fifteen stores all around. It was my dream of having a quirky sort of retail empire. So there was sort of similar dream, you know, things pulling at me, which is from um, generation or two generations before. Um, but I didn't factor in um, the retail global meltdown of 2008. Oh, that had an effect. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because retail really got, um, you know, cut off at the kneecaps a bit then. And... Uh, Look, I had one partner in the business, and um, much that I love him, uh, he he um, uh, said that uh, we had to think of something else uh, to do because retail um, was was killing us. And so we went into we bought a biscuit business, <laughs> which at Moorabbin, which I remember well, um, uh, which. 
uh, was a bit. Of, it it was a new learning curve, you know. And then we from that we morphed into food distribution. Biscuits though, what sort of biscuits? Like Scotch uh, fingers. You know the the one of the cracker. Crack, you know, you 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 saw your, your savoury sort of. Um, okay, not the sweet ones. Not the sweet ones. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of an adventure. Um, the the retail um, slowly um, sort of stores closed down and um, franchisee franchisees um, had marriage bust ups and kids that robbed them dry. Uh, there was all sorts of other issues that came along that we couldn't factor in or think about that happened. So did you have a few flagship stores that were your own and then other people had, or did you just... We had uh, Hamilton in, in Western Victoria. That yeah. was always a flagship store. Yeah. And that became quite um, quite big. And we you know took over uh, three other bits of... The, the, luckily, the, the, we had the same landlord who owned all these shops, and we just took over all of them. Then we went uh, start a restaurant. Um, why uh, we had um, uh, you know whole liquor section, whole food section, giftware. It was a, it was a big store. It's still going today. Oh, it is. Yeah. How did you choose Hamilton? Um, again, we sort of. We were down at Hamilton. I'm trying to think of what year it would have been, but um, most of the main street of Hamilton was there was no every shop was empty. Tumbleweed. There was only tumbleweed. <laughs> there was only crazy Clint's five dollar <laughs> shop. <laughs> and that was about it. Yeah. And uh, so we thought this would be a good time. And you know, at that stage, I think Sheepvention was on, and that uh, was um, uh, you know we would. Because we'd go down there and ply our, our wares uh, as well. So, you know, it was sort of an extension of the mail order business that uh, go into to retail. Although I think in hindsight now, I, what was I thinking? <laughs> um, no, no, no doubt you've, you've learned got, something you've or, to, you know, that curves you into the next trajectory, right? Absolutely. You know, you've got to give it a crack. Yeah. And uh, we certainly gave it a crack, um, but you know we we sort of flash forward to now. Um, I, I'm, we're back to square one in a, in a, an exciting way with Arabella, with uh, the way she started her her mail order business. Which is uh, break it down mail order. I just get like um, you know. Well, I always uh, think you send something out on the mail. Got it. Okay. So good. you're ordering it. It's in, an online front. Yeah. And bang. We're not we're not dealing in, in sort of uh, online prostitutes. Yeah. Okay. Like good. Because it's just my imagination is yeah. wild. Um. So that's called uh, We Are Dougal. Yeah. And that uh, sort of slowly um, getting traction, uh, but Arabella's her background being uh, fabric design so she gets me she sends me uh, uh, a, a few sheets task jobs so she wants certain drawings that I'll do and then she sort of weaves her magic and you know redoes the image or changes the colour or whatever it happens to be uh, I was yesterday um, over at you know where the uh, at the at Yoke um, studio and she's got some nice 
Easter Bunny uh, kids stuff. That so you know you've got to really think ahead now with. Um, well, you know, you should be now planning Christmas. Right, uh, yeah. Next, next winter or, yeah, yeah. whatever, yep. Uh, so, you know, Bells is uh, going along pretty well with all that. Oh, I love the stuff. I've got one of the, the crocodile shark jumper. Yeah, that's that's been a bit of a winner. I love it. I, I like it when I'm in the middle of nowhere and I see someone wearing a, a top. You know, you can't help but going up to them saying, hey. well, you've got style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just wandering off. Yeah. <laughs> also got a mail order bride um, business. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, the, the, all through, I guess, my um, existence, um, the thing that's always interests me is, um, you know, the, the, the parts of Australia that, you know, we take for granted. You know the quirky bits, of the country towns, the, the um, you know the traditions that uh, sadly are all sort of going out the window. Um, so that you you see that very much in my drawings. So mm. uh, you know whatever it is, a placemat or a um, you know we've done the tea towels. We've done the latest, last two I did was dingoes, and it sounds like a little bit. Um, uh, mushy but uh, you know we've done um, feral animals of Australia That's, that was quite a good seller um, so you can think of all the things that can jump out at you Have you been to South Australia much? Um, yes uh, there, um, we actually started a store there it didn't last for too long because it got complicated and we had, we had problems with um, I don't know if I should be saying this, the, the mafia of Adelaide. Um, they wouldn't let us open a, a bottle, uh, you know, like a liquor outlet. It was very complicated. Hold on, not the government, but not some another government. another group of people. Yeah, which would probably best to move on from that one. Um, unbelievable. I really want to dig in here, but I won't. Okay, I <laughs> keep moving. <laughs> no, leave it alone. No, no, no. Um, but I didn't even realise that that... Okay, all right. Um, but in retail, the, the thing that really... Uh, it's a bit like Kiwi getting the um, British Army contract in the First World War. The thing that made money for us was cheap wine, uh, anything under $10. So, you know, and so we developed that whole clean skin thing pretty early on, which meant you you buy, a you you know, approach a, a, a winery and they might have a vat out the back that they tried to sell and to someone they couldn't and they were desperate to get rid of it because, you know, they needed the space for the following next season. Uh-huh. And so that, that worked out um, pretty well. That's how the business really grew was with... Um, um, clean skin wines um, so and you know my, my sort of artifacts along the way which was the tea towels and the the placemats and the aprons and the uh, the list goes on which I'm still doing to this day but, but, we're, but we're keeping it simple now <laughs> well there, there's something to be said about that in everything right Definitely. just keep it simple you, you learn you learn your lesson um, but if you can just, you know, don't get too greedy. Um, unless, unless you can control the, all the, or you, 
um, the other adage is you, you gather good people, like-minded people around you, but they've all got a, a specific talent that contribute to the you know sum total of the business. Well, they say if you can be the dumbest person in the room, you're doing well. <laughs> I'll go along with that. <laughs> <laughs> you just you know, stay quiet and yeah, just yeah, uh, yeah. sometimes you know, raise an issue. Um, but, you yeah, know, um, there's a lot of truth in all that. Um, but uh, I think the exciting thing now is to still be doing, you know, one one's own. Uh, uh, I'm still hard at it, the drawing board. Um, I know Arabella's probably keen to put us into our care because she, she wants my coloured pencil box. Um, but... <laughs> That's a, that's a, uh, okay. I just picked up what you meant by our care is a, a nursing facility, is sure it? Is. Okay. <laughs> she keeps on saying, Dad, do you think, uh, have you looked at the brochures lately? Oh, my God, does you really? Said, We're not ready for yeah. any of this. Get the doors that way. Yeah. yeah. So there you have it. Well, Dougal, I just want to say thanks very much for your time. Well, it's my pleasure. <laughs> um, being on the very uh, start of a, uh, a new little venture of my own, I'm going to go back and um, study the Kiwi book. I'd, I'd definitely suggest you read it from cover to cover. Yeah, well, it's constantly, constantly. It's, it's, it's quite heavy to take to bed because it's quite big. Right. But definitely worth it. It's a top read because the, the author is um, uh, Keith Dunstan, who was a very... Um, amusing you know, um, journalist he used to write for the Sun for many years uh, he uh, his claim to fame was the anti-football league which he he chaired or he was president of for many years but I think gave up in the end what is the anti-football league anti- it sounds like something I should be part of AFL football but no, for real anti or anti- is it a play no, on they were sick of uh, just having the football rammed down their throats every yeah. day of the week. Yeah. But now I think, I mean, that that's folded. <laughs> I've given up. Well, someone probably took them out because everyone loves it. But he, Keith, it was the last book that he, he wrote. Sadly, he died um, pretty well when he got it in the can. Um, and um, he, But he did a splendid job. And, it's beautiful looking. Um we were, you know, it, it took a while to do, but at least it's there. And um, anyone studying uh, commerce uh, want to become the next entrepreneur. There's the model. There's the model. <laughs> <laughs> um, just in closing, how are the cats going to go this year? Well, last weekend was a bit disappointing. They, I think they ran out of, they just, uh, GWS a bit fitter. Yeah. In the last quarter, but they, uh, I reckon they'll be there in the eight for sure. Yeah. Um, but further than that, I don't want to commit myself, but I think uh, there's there's lots of promise there. They've just got to get the yin and yang right. Were you originally a demon? Correct. What happened? Well, I, you wouldn't believe it, but I'm actually a 50-year member of the MCG now. And which comes with its benefits. Um, you get sandwiches and tea at half time. Great. And you've got your own spot to sit. Curried egg sandwiches? Uh, 
Yeah, they. I don't. They carry the egg sandwiches. Sort of. <laughs> I haven't seen them for a while, but uh, but you could sit there with your carer if you wanted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a special designated area. Um, so I was put in as a, a at birth. So I became a member aged, I think, seventeen. So um, that's why I'm now a fifty-year member. That's because I won't say exactly how old I am now, but. Uh, uh, does have its benefits. Fantastic. But this is good I was here. expected yeah. to be a demon supporter. If you if you're a member of the MCC, it was expected of you. Mm. That's all gone out the window now. Mm. But back in you know we're, um, uh, mid sixties, sixty seven. Yeah, that was uh, you know off to the um, the footy. You know, when footy was played outside every weekend and it was pretty simple, uh, everything happened on Saturday afternoon, that was it. It was all over. No Sunday, no Friday, no Thursday, no nothing except then. <laughs> I think there was a game last week on a Wednesday night, was there? Or was it Thursday I was in Melbourne? It just creeps into the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. All right, Dougal, I'm going to say thank you so much. Pleasure. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with Dougal Ramsey. Um, thank you so much for listening, whoever you are, wherever you are. Six months on a boat. You reckon you could hack it? Do you think you could? Ha- you know what? I reckon you could hack it. I think that I, I've given it some thought. You'd have no frame of reference to what anything else is different. So, therefore, you'd have no gauge of anything other than this is a fast six months to get to the other side of the earth. And... And we are capable of much more than we realize. I think the people that were born 100 years ago, 200 years ago, they were weapons. Uh, Yeah. Leave you with that thought. Take it easy.